Welcome, everyone. My name is Darren Snow, and I am the senior pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Aurora, Illinois. And I am so glad that you are joining us in our series on the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus called Walking in the Light. Amen, amen. Yes, he is indeed. Can somebody say amen? amen. We serve a miracle-working God. You may be seated. Uh, it's my great joy and honor to be with you today to share the Word of God. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here. If I have yet to meet you, I certainly look forward uh, to doing so. If you're uh, watching on our online platform, we want to welcome you this morning and our prayers, whether you're near or far, uh, that God would use this teaching and this time of worship to bless you and teach you and further your relationship with Jesus. Uh, for the rest of you, welcome. It's always a pleasure to be in the house of God. And go ahead and take a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you're new to Crossroads, we want to welcome you uh, and, and, and welcome you specifically into our series, Walking in the Light. And so we are just past the midway point of a 26-week series where we are walking through every verse of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and we're glad that you've joined us today along this journey. And for those of you who've been along the ride with us, uh, it has been quite the journey so far, we're going to be looking today at verses 25 through 32, which will complete chapter 4. So congratulations if you've been along for the ride. Uh, we turn the page and we'll begin chapter 5 into the home stretch of the completion of chapter 6 later in the summer. And so when we turned into the beginning of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul began to shift into practical ways for us to live the Christian life successfully. And he began in chapter 4 with a call to unity for the church. That's all of us with the responsibility to be a unified people. And what we have learned about this unity is that we have a responsibility to be eager to maintain unity. Those are Paul's words from the scripture in the beginning of chapter 4. So we are to be a diligent people to remain unified. That requires work on our part. Pastor shared with us last week uh, that we have some personal responsibility in our relationship with God. So my relationship with God, it's on me to do certain things so that I can best position myself to grow spiritually. And then you have some responsibilities as well. Those that Pastor shared with us last week include the putting off of the former you. So when you place your faith in Jesus, you become a brand new creation in Christ. You have a brand new start. The past is done, but our former way of life before Christ tends to creep back in. And so we have a responsibility to put off or to put to death that old self that tends to try to rear its head at certain times. Because we are now, as Paul wrote and we saw last week, we have a new self that's created to be like God in righteousness and in holiness, and that's the self we need to put on. And we put that self on, we put on that mindset by daily spending time with God's word, by being in community with other Christians and worshiping our God in the way that he deserves to be worshiped. And then this morning's text is going to challenge us in our relationships, not necessarily romantic relationships, but all relationships. So if you have a relationship with anyone... This text will be helpful for you today because when we are unified 
it demonstrates something beautiful to this world that we live in. And that is our best foot forward as a church when relationally we are unified in the things of God. So we're going to begin just looking at verse 25 here at the start. So read with me Ephesians 4, just verse 25 to begin. Paul wrote, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. A very simple verse to start, but very profound. So if you've been along this journey with us, you know when you see the word therefore, there's a bridge from one idea, one thought to the next. And then he says, having put away falsehood, that's a way of Paul saying, since you have left the lies of the world, because the ways of the world and culture will lie to you about the pathway to peace and joy and the hope of eternity. So since you've put that falsehood behind you, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So now he's instructing us that we should be people who speak the truth. Now, who is the neighbor he is speaking of? The rest of the verse describes the neighbor. He says, we are members of one another. So our context would uh, confirm to us that the neighbor he's speaking of are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is family business, if you will, for the body of Christ that Paul is describing here in his instruction to them. And it would be God's instruction to us today that we should speak the truth with our neighbor. Now, if we have the responsibility to speak truth, we need to talk about what truth is. And we do this often here at crossroads. But here's what the Bible teaches us about truth is that we serve the one true living God. So God is true. The son of God, Jesus Christ, with two feet on this planet in John's gospel, Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. That's the purpose and the reason why Jesus came to the planet. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way the truth, and the life. So what has flowed from the one true living God, his son Jesus Christ, and the precious spirit of God is the word of God that is in the Bible. That's why we preach it the way we do, because we believe it is the word of God. So the one true living God has established an overarching absolute truth in this world, and that truth is him and his word. Now here's what absolute truth means. It means that it's true regardless of the context that it is in. And here's what I mean by that. If we read John 14, 6 here in this room this morning, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus speaking. No one comes to the Father except through me. We take that, we package it, and we ship it to a foreign country. And someone opens it there, and they read John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guess what? It's still true there. So regardless of the context, absolute truth reaches across all context. And so if we are going to speak the truth to one another, then we obviously need to be people who know the truth. 
That's where the effort comes in for us to know the Word of God, to read the Bible, to study the Bible so that we can know the truth, so we can lovingly be people who speak the truth. If we're going to speak it to uphold God's standard of truth, then we have to know it. Let me give you a simple little example of this. So if I were to stand here before you one morning and say something crazy like, hey, I know a lot of people make a big deal about prayer, but prayer is not really that important. For thousands of years, people have been saying it is, but it's not really. So you may be sitting there familiar with some parts of the Bible that discuss the topic of prayer. You may say, hold on a second, Pastor. When I read the Bible, I see Jesus, the Son of God, get up while it was still dark. And he went out by himself to a private place. And what did he do? He prayed. That's the way he began his day. Pastor, when I read Matthew chapter 6, I see Jesus instruct the people of his time, go into your room, close the door where your father who sees what you do in secret and you pray to him and God will reward you and see what you're doing in secret. You don't have to pray aloud to show out. Like, Pastor, there's a reward for prayer right there. Maybe you're familiar with Philippians 4. Say, Pastor Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything pray. And God has this supernatural exchange for us. He takes our anxiety and exchanges it for peace. And that peace will guard and protect our heart from the hypothetical, from the things we cannot control. He will protect us from that. Pastor, I think prayer is pretty important. And you know what? You would be correct. That's speaking the truth. And you can do that in a loving way. But if you don't know the truth, how can you speak the truth. So it's a twofold um, lesson for us as a church to understand how important this is. Why that is so important is because it is our collective collaboration that we come to the best understanding of God's truth. It's not about my interpretation or your interpretation, but when we get together and we study the Bible responsibly, we, we um, arrive at the best conclusion as to what God is saying to us. And that leads to point of truth number one, which is truth-filled conversations are required for spiritual growth. Listen, I can only speak about truth because of what I have learned from the truth. And much of that has not come from me preaching. It's come from listening and being in context with brothers and sisters where we can responsibly talk about the word of God. Our best understanding is collaboration. That's why God has given us one another as a gift and a blessing so we can study the word together. Now Paul is going to shift in verse 26 and give us an idea of how to navigate our relationships as brothers and sisters. So read with me beginning in verse 26. He wrote, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those 
who hear. Now, I want to focus on two words initially. That is in verse 26, the word angry, and verse 27, the word opportunity, because they go hand in hand. He does not say that being angry is a sin. We have emotions. Those emotions in and of themselves are not sinful, but it's how we live in light of those emotions. It's what we do from that emotional state. So he says, at some point, we can conclude you're going to be angry. Just don't let that turn into sin. But, but here's what he wants you to understand. When our emotions are heightened, whether it's angry or whether it's other emotions, the enemy sees an opportunity when we are emotional. Because we don't tend to be thinking the best when our emotions are heightened. So what does this tell us and communicate to us is that we need to have an awareness. Emotions are heightened. We need to have a sense of urgency to understand this is when the enemy tries to do his best. So how do we respond from emotion? Because we're going to have them. We are humans. God has made us that way. We need to filter our emotions. Okay, so I shared with you, if you were here two weeks ago, an illustration about a coffee filter. If you're familiar with how you make coffee, um, you need to take one of these filters and place it in the basket before you put the coffee grounds in. If you don't do that, you'll have a mess on your hands, and that's not a very good taste to get a mouthful of coffee grounds, if it's ever happened. So the filter is important. Now, what God has given us, he has given us some filters to help us spiritually arrive at the best place that we need to, to keep us out of messiness. In this context, to keep us out of relational messiness, we have filters. Now, the two filters that I introduced to you two weeks ago were the Word of God and your brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you're facing something, whatever the situation is, the Word of God is a filter if you want to arrive at the truth. Your brother or sister in Christ guiding you in truth is a filter to help you see the truth. And I want to add an additional filter to help us in our relationships in light of our emotions, and that is the filter of prayer. Because when our emotions are heightened, one of the healthiest things you can do is battle it out in prayer. Because prayer is opens up our hearts, gives us the opportunity to get in tune with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to whisper to us a good old-fashioned figure of speech, put on your big girl pants and get over it. Sometimes we react in a way that we should not have reacted. Maybe the Holy Spirit hadn't said that exactly. I don't know what that translates like in Greek or Hebrew. Probably a little awkward, but you get the point. Sometimes we react in an unreasonable manner, and the Holy Spirit needs to bring us down to a level playing field. But you know what? Our emotions are not always negative per se, and here's where the enemy gets really creative. So anger has a negative connotation, but I would also say we have to be very careful about the emotion of happiness. Because happiness is temporary. Happiness is fleeting. It's not joy. Joy is deep-rooted, and joy only is found 
in Christ. But here's at times what fleeting happiness can say to you to fool you. You may have a relationship that's not going well. And that just might be a marriage relationship, perhaps. And as that's not going well, you may find yourself feeling happy towards someone else. And what that happiness is doing is there's an opportunity for the enemy to sneak in and say, hey, don't worry about this covenant that you're in. Follow your sense of happiness. But if we use our filters, what conclusion will we arrive at? Your emotions are lying to you because there's a covenant of God. There are other factors in play to where if you follow your emotions, that's going to lead you into a more damaging situation. So we have to be careful, church. Even happiness can lead us astray. We have to be very careful about our emotions. So here's a principle for you. It's point of truth number two, but an overarching principle that we need to have down as Christians, and it's this. Our emotions are always subject to truth, always. But truth is never subject to our emotions, never. So here's what I mean by that. The truth of God's word is our authority. So whatever our emotions are, They were always subject. They surrender to the truth of the word of God because our emotions can fool us. They can lie. But you see, the word of God is never subject to our emotions because our emotions can fool us at times. And here's what we're currently seeing in our culture in modern times. When emotions lead the way, it erodes every sense of decency and morality in our society. And that's what we're seeing right now. Because the way people feel are becoming standards of truth. I say that very loosely. In our society, and that's why things in American culture right now are so messy. Because emotions are leading the way. God gave you emotions and you will have them but they are not the foundation by which you live and lead your life. you got to be careful with your emotions. He also says in verse 26, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, what could he be talking about there? What does the sun have to do with it? Well, I believe Paul's getting at here that if you are angry or you have a heightened emotion, again, we have a relational context toward a brother or sister in Christ or whatever relationship it is, when when that's happening, we ought to deal with these things with a sense of urgency. So it doesn't mean you have to solve it all in one day, but at least before the sun goes down on the day of that situation, at least you have, have approached it running it through a filter. At least you prayed about it. And if it's an issue between you and someone else, maybe you've set aside time the next day to talk about it when you're both in a better place. You're both hopefully prayed up and you're ready to speak about this in a truthful and loving way because here's what happens when you let the sun go down. That leaves then your emotions unchecked. When our emotions are unchecked, What's the easy thing to do? Bury it and not deal with it. That's the easy thing to do. 
What does the enemy want you to do? Bury it and never address it. Why? Because he can further the issue. Because here's what happens. When you have an unchecked emotion and you bury it, you put it away, you don't reconcile, that emotion can then become an attitude. Let me give you an example. So let's say I say something to you and it's not nice and you say, well, that was mean. Caleb did something mean to me and you don't come and address the situation. You don't let me know that I've been mean. So maybe I just keep on being mean. I don't know. Uh, but a loving brother or sister in this context, you, you would at least have a conversation about it. But if you bury it and then something happens again, well, Caleb was mean to me again. Now that unchecked emotion of anger toward me, of disappointment is buried. And now it becomes an attitude. And here's what the attitude is. Caleb is a mean person. Do you see how that's different than Caleb was mean or you were rude or you did something hurtful? Now it's just you are a hurtful person. Listen to me, church. An attitude has permanence. An attitude takes up residence in you. And an attitude becomes a relational barrier. And when you are in a relationship, you've got to understand this. That's why Paul's saying, don't let the sun go down on this thing. You don't have to solve it all. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, you have to be proactive. Because what does the enemy want? Relational barriers. Because then that divides us. Then that kills marriages. That wrecks families. And that's the business our enemy is in. But Jesus is about reconciliation. Jesus is about doing the right thing. Jesus is about being humble. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. You know what the Greek word for mind is? Attitude. Paul says, have this attitude among yourselves, which is your attitude in Christ Jesus. And you know what attitude he goes on to describe? Humility. He said, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. He became obedient, took on the form of a servant, obedient to the cross, and he considered others better than himself. If that's the character of Christ, certainly that should be the character of followers of Christ. In order for our relationships to be better, we need more humility. And listen, it takes two people for humility to really happen and reconciliation to really happen. Listen, I want to encourage you as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't wage war against one another. Wage war against the enemy. He wants to tear us apart. Don't let the war be between two of you let the war be against the enemy. Jesus wants to bring us together. But that requires humility. Now, verse 29, Paul said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, which fits the occasion. Okay. Now, even though your brothers or sisters in Christ can be a filter for you, having conversation about the issue can make things worse. Isn't it amazing? God knows our tendencies, and this was written 2,000 years ago. 
Because what do we like to do when we have an issue with someone? We want to go talk about it with somebody else. And what is our tendency to find someone who's going to agree with all the reasons why we think we're right? And that's not humility. That's trying to win. You want to declare yourself to be the winner. We like to talk, but this could worsen the situation. The intention of the conversation, as Paul said, should promote grace. So if you get a hold of a brother or sister and you're talking about a conflict, that person ought to be speaking the truth, leading you in truth. And here's a question. If two Christian people are going to talk about another Christian person, let me give you a question that we all should ask before the conversation starts. We should ask this question. Will this conversation build this person up? Because if it's going to tear them down, it's not a God-honoring conversation. So if I'm speaking with someone about someone else that I have a conflict with, is the conversation going to build them up and view them through eyes of grace? So here's what the conversation should be. Here's point of truth number three. Accountability should guide us toward truth. So a brother or sister in Christ that you're having a conversation with to help you improve upon a relational issue, that, is a, that should be a conversation of accountability. So it should be, well, first you should humble yourself. Let's look at the situation. Let's pray. And that conversation is accountability, but it's only accountability if it's guiding you toward truth and reconciliation and grace and unity and humility for your brother or sister in Christ. So we got to be careful what it is. Does the advice you seek promote unity and reconciliation? Or is it all about you wanting to win? Because listen, God's not about keeping score. But when we're focused on us and we're not being humble, we keep score because we want to win. And you are not going to be successful in your relationships if it's about keeping score. Because as a Christian man, Christian woman, Christian teenager, when you go on a foreign mission trip, it, it, it stretches your relationships, doesn't it? When you're tired and cranky and working hard. But for Christian people, our goal ought to be unity. Because if you're truly forgiven and set free by Jesus, you understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross to continue keeping score. Jesus went to the cross to level the playing field and to set us free. And to know, going back to Ephesians 1, we are all saved by the grace of God, chapter 2. And we are now not objects of wrath, but objects of grace. So if our Father views us in that way, how could we not view one another that way? And listen, when our relationships are not right in God's family, it grieves our God. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Verse 31, let all. See that little three-letter word, all? That's a pretty big little word there. All bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, slander, be put away from you along with, there it is again, all malice. And here's verse 32. Here's where it all lands for us today. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And you know what I can only imagine is Paul sitting in that prison 2,000 years ago that as he's writing this, he's addressing a particular situation in this church. That's why he wrote, he wasn't just sitting there thinking, well, I'll do a talk on relationships today. No, he's getting reports from people inside this congregation. And as he's writing this, I just think he's there chained in that prison. And all he's saying is, brother or sister, please get to verse 32. If there's anything you can do to improve yourself, improve your relationship, to improve the body of Christ, the bride that Jesus went to the cross for, please get to verse 32. And when you view your brother, you view your sister, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another as God in Christ gave you. And what Paul's really saying is, think about the gospel. Take yourself to the foot of the cross and that will humble anyone and hopefully you will quit keeping the score. Because God's not keeping the score of your sin. But relationally, we're immature at times and that's what we do. So here's the principle Paul's getting at in our final couple of verses And this principle changed my life when I heard it about eight years ago at a marriage conference. When I heard a pastor say, treat your spouse the way God treats you. But but we can broaden that, and I would just say, treat one another the way God treats you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you make a mistake, what happens? You humbly and willingly go to God if, if, if you do. What do you expect from Jesus when you go to him and ask him for forgiveness? You expect forgiveness, don't you? That's what he promised you you would get. He's saying treat your brothers and sisters the same. Now, we don't go to Jesus prideful. You, you don't go and say, well, I'm right, but I guess, you know, forgive me and forgive her because she's wrong. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't go to the throne on high with pride. Uh, God will make you feel small. He'll humble you in some way. You don't go with pride. Jesus didn't go to the cross with pride. He went to the cross with humility. That's the only reason he stayed there. You've got to keep that in mind. If Jesus was full of pride, he wouldn't have stayed on that cross. He wouldn't have let them nail him to the cross. But it was humility that he became obedient to death, death on a cross. The only reason Jesus made it to it is finished is humility. That's the only reason why he made it to that phrase, to telestai, that changed everything for you and me, was humility. And the only way, church, that we are going to be the church that resembles the bride that Jesus died for is if we are a humble people. 
and we treat one another the way God treats us. If we are about that, then God will honor our effort and he will do great and mighty things for us. And what our world needs is a church today that resembles Christ, that stands upon truth. That's what our world needs. Our world doesn't know that, but that's what the world needs. Jesus told his disciples, they will know you by your love. And that's going to make a difference. Love and truth. Love and truth. So how do we bring all of this home this morning to an application? Ask yourself the question in your relationship, whichever one's on your mind this morning, it's probably on your mind for a reason. Do you have any unchecked emotions? Are you trying to just bury the situation? Or can you have a truthful, loving conversation about, this, about it? A truthful, loving conversation about the situation? Or are you trying to bury it? Because if you bury it, it's going to become an attitude, and that's a problem. Then it'll be a relational barrier. Don't let the sun go down. And if the sun has gone down, it's not too late. It's not too late to reconcile with anyone. So what emotions have you left unchecked? What situation is there in your relationships or in your marriage that need to be addressed that are worth a conversation? Because listen, your spouse is worth the work. Your brother or sister in Christ, they are worth the work. And it takes two people to reconcile so if you're willing and someone else is not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad for your effort. It takes two, but they're worthy of the work. Sometimes you got to wait on that other person to give right with God. But if there's anything in your life, confess your sin, give it to Jesus and come humbly to reconcile to that person. Because relational issues can grieve God. But your confession and correction, and effort in righteousness very much so will please God. So as much as division grieves God, your effort, confess, correct, repent, it will please God. And it's never too late to do that. So I'll just leave you with one final question this morning. Is the Holy Spirit encouraged or discouraged by your actions, by your relationships? Because your brother or sister in Christ, they're worthy of the work. They're worthy of the effort. Listen, Jesus is the one who went to the cross. He's not asking you to do that. He's asking you to have a humble conversation. It's worth the work. It's to that end that I'd like to pray for us this morning. Lord God, thank you so much for your word and this time together in your word. Lord Jesus, work in the midst of our hearts. Help us to be a humble people who are about reconciliation, who don't bury the issues, but we humbly work together to maintain unity in the body of Christ for the glory of God. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. I really hope you enjoyed today's message. 
If you'd like more information on Crossroads Community Church, you can check out our website at crossroadsconnect.net. And if you are ever in our area, we would love to have you visit us in person at 3003 South Eola Road, right here in Aurora, Illinois. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to having you join us again next week as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, Walking in the Light.